Section 23 of A Journal of the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. Section 23. It remains to give some account of the state of trade at home in England during this dreadful time and particularly as it relates to the manufactures and the trade in the city. At the first breaking out of the infection there was, as it is easy to suppose, a very great fright among the people, and consequently a general stop of trade, except in provisions and necessaries of life, and even in those things, as there was a vast number of people fled, and a very great number always sick, besides the number which died. So there could not have been above two-thirds, if above one-half, of the consumption of provisions in the city as used to be. It pleased God to send a very plentiful year of corn and fruit, but not of hay or grass, by which means bread was cheap by reason of the plenty of corn, flesh was cheap by reason of the scarcity of grass, but butter and cheese were dear for the same reason, and hay in the market, just beyond Whitechapel bars, was sold at four pound per load. But that affected not. The there was a most excessive plenty of all sorts of fruit, such as apples, pears, plums, cherries, grapes, and they were the cheaper because of the want of people. But this made the poor eat them to excess and this brought them into fluxes, gripping of the guts, surfeits, and the like, which often precipitated them into the plague. But to come to matters of trade. First, foreign exportation being stopped, or at least very much interrupted and rendered difficult, a general stop of all those manufactures followed, of course, which were usually brought for exportation and though sometimes merchants abroad were importunate for goods, yet little was sent, the passages being so generally stopped that the English ships would not be admitted, as is already said, into their port. This put a stop to the manufactures that were for exportation in most parts of England, except in some outports, and even that was soon stopped, for they all had the plague in their turn. But though this was felt all over England, yet, what was still worse, all intercourse of trade for home consumption of manufactures, especially those which usually circulated through the Londoners' hands, was stopped at once, the trade of the city being stopped. All kinds of handicrafts in the city, etc., tradesmen and mechanics, were, as I have said before, out of employ and this occasioned the putting off and dismissing an innumerable number of journeymen and workmen of all sorts, seeing nothing was done relating to such trades but what might be said to be absolutely necessary. This caused the multitude of single people in London to be unprovided for, as also families whose living depended upon the labour of the heads of those families. I say, this reduced them to extreme misery, and I must confess it is for the honour of the city of London 
and will be for many ages, as long as this is to be spoken of, that they were able to supply, with charitable provision, the wants of so many thousands of those as afterwards fell sick and were distressed, so that it may be safely averred that nobody perished for want, at least that the magistrates had any notice given them of. This stagnation of our manufacturing trade in the country would have put the people there to much greater difficulties, but that the master-workmen, clothiers, and others, to the uttermost of their stocks and strength, kept on making their goods to keep the poor at work, believing that, soon as the sickness should abate, they would have a quick demand in proportion to the decay of their trade at that time. But as none but those masters that were rich could do this, and that many were poor and not able, the manufacturing trade in England suffered greatly, and the poor were pinched all over England by the calamity of the city of London only. It is true that the next year made them full amends by another terrible calamity upon the city, so that the city by one calamity impoverished and weakened the country, and by another calamity, even terrible too of its kind, enriched the country and made them again amends. For an infinite quantity of household stuff, wearing apparel, and other things, besides whole warehouses filled with merchandise and manufactures, such as come from all parts of England, were consumed in the fire of London the next year after this terrible visitation. It is incredible what a trade this made all over the whole kingdom, to make good the want and to supply that loss, so that, in short, all the manufacturing hands in the nation were set to work, and were little enough for several years to supply the market and answer the demands. All foreign markets also went empty of our goods by the stop which had been occasioned by the plague, and before an open trade was allowed again, and the prodigious demand at home falling in, joined to make a quick vent for all sort of goods, so that there never was known such a trade all over England for the time as was in the first seven years after the plague, and after the fire of London. It remains now that I should say something of the merciful part of this terrible judgment. The third week in September, the plague being come to its crisis, its fury began to assuage. I remember my friend Dr. Heath, coming to see me the week before, told me he was sure that the violence of it would assuage in a few days. But, when I saw the weekly bill of that week, which was the highest of the whole year, being 8,297 of all diseases, I upbraided him with it, and asked him what he had made his judgment from. His answer, however, was not so much to seek as I thought it would have been. Look you, says he, by the number which are at this time sick and infected, there should have been twenty thousand dead the last week instead of eight thousand. 
if the inveterate moral contagion had been as it was two weeks ago, for then it ordinarily killed in two or three days, now not under eight or ten, and then not above one in five recovered, whereas I have observed that now not above two in five miscarry. And observe it from me, the next bill will decrease, and you will see many more people recover than used to do. For, though a vast multitude are now everywhere infected, and as many every day fall sick, yet there will not so many die as there did, for the malignity of the distemper is abated, adding that he now began to hope, nay, more than hope, that the infection had passed its crisis and was going off. And, accordingly so, it was, for the next week being, as I said, the last in September, the bill decreased almost two thousand. It is true the plague was still at a frightful height, and the next bill was no less than six thousand four hundred and sixty, and the next to that five thousand seven hundred and twenty. But still, my friend's observation was just, and it did appear that people did recover faster, and more in number than they used to do. And indeed, if it had not been so, what had been the condition of the city of London? For, according to my friend, there were not fewer than sixty thousand people at that time infected, whereof, as above, twenty thousand four hundred and seventy-seven died and near forty thousand recovered, whereas, had it been, as it was before, fifty thousand of that number would very probably have died, if not more, and fifty thousand more would have been sickened. For, in a word, the whole mass of people began to sicken, and it looked as if none would escape. But this remark of my friends appeared more evident in a few weeks more, for the decrease went on, and another week in October it decreased 1,843, so that the number dead of the plague was 2,665, and the next week it decreased 1,413 more, and yet it was seen plainly that there was abundance of people sick, nay, abundance more than ordinary, and abundance fell sick every day, but, as above, the malignity of the disease abated. Such is the precipitant disposition of our people, whether it is so or not all over the world, that's none of my particular business to inquire, but I saw it apparently here, that, as upon the first fright of the infection, they shunned one another, and fled from one another's houses, and from the city with an unaccountable, and, as I thought, unnecessary fright. So now, upon this notion spreading, that is, that the distemper was not so catching as formerly, and that if it was catched it was not so mortal, and seeing abundance of people who really fell sick recover again daily, they took to such a precipitant courage, and grew so entirely regardless of themselves and of the infection, that they made no more of the plague than of an ordinary fever, nor, indeed, so much. 
they not only went boldly into company with those who had tumors and carbuncles upon them that were running, and consequently contagious, but ate and drank with them, nay, into their houses to visit them, and even, as I was told, into their very chambers where they lay sick. This I could not see rational. My friend Dr. Heath allowed, and it was plain to experience, that the distemper was as catching as ever, and as many fell sick, but only he alleged that so many of those that fell sick did not die. But I think that while many did die, and that at best the distemper itself was very terrible, the sores and swellings very tormenting, and the danger of death not left out of the circumstances of sickness, though not so frequent as before, all those things, together with the exceeding tediousness of the cure, the loathsomeness of the disease, and many other articles, were enough to deter any man living from a dangerous mixture with the sick people, and make them as anxious almost to avoid the infections as before. Nay, there was another thing which made the mere catching of the distemper frightful, and that was the terrible burning of the caustics which the surgeons laid on the swellings to bring them to break and to run, without which the danger of death was very great, even to the last. Also, the insufferable torment of the swellings, which, though it might not make people raving and distracted as they were before, and as I have given several instances already, yet they put the patient to inexpressible torment, and those that fell into it, though they did escape with life, yet they made bitter complaints of those that had told them there was no danger, and sadly repented their rashness and folly in venturing to run the reach of it. Nor did this unwary conduct of the people end here, for a great many that thus cast off their cautions suffered more deeply still, and though many escaped, yet many died, and at least it had this public mischief attending it, that it made the decrease of burials slower than it would otherwise have been. For as this notion ran like lightning through the city, and the people's heads were possessed with it, even as soon as the first great decrease in the bills appeared, we found that the next two bills did not decrease in proportion. The reason, I take to be, the people's running so rashly into danger, giving up all their former cautions and care, and all the shyness which they used to practice, depending that the sickness would not reach them, or that if it did, they should not die. The physicians opposed this thoughtless humor of the people with all their might, and gave out printed directions, spreading them all over the city and suburbs, advising the people to continue reserved, and to use still the utmost caution in their ordinary conduct, notwithstanding the decrease of the distemper, terrifying them with the danger of bringing a relapse upon the whole city, and telling them how such a relapse might be more fatal and dangerous than the whole visitation that had been already with many arguments and reasons to explain and prove that part to them, and which are too long to repeat here. But it was all to no purpose. 
the audacious creatures were so possessed with the first joy, and so surprised with the satisfaction of seeing a vast decrease in the weekly bills, that they were impenetrable by any new terrors, and would not be persuaded but that the bitterness of death was past, and it was to no more purpose to talk to them than to an east wind. But they opened shops, went about streets, did business, and conversed with anybody that came in their way to converse with, whether with business or without, neither inquiring of their health, or so much as being apprehensive of any danger from them, though they knew them not to be sound. This imprudent, rash conduct cost a great many their lives, who had with great care and caution shut themselves up and kept retired, as it were, from all mankind, and had by that means, under God's providence, been preserved through all the heat of that infection. This rash and foolish conduct, I say, of the people, went so far that the ministers took notice to them of it at last, and laid before them both the folly and danger of it, and this checked it a little, so that they grew more cautious. But it had another effect, which they could not check, for as the first rumour had spread not over the city only, but into the country, it had the like effect, and the people were so tired from being so long from London, and so eager to come back, that they flocked to town without fear or forecast, and began to show themselves in the streets as if all the danger was over. It was indeed surprising to see it, for, though there died still from one thousand to eighteen hundred a week, yet the people flocked to town as if all had been well. The consequence of this was that the bills increased again four hundred the very first week in November, and, if I might believe the physicians, there was above three thousand fell sick that week, most of them newcomers too. One John Cock, a barber in St. Martin's Le Grand, was an imminent example of this, I mean, of the hasty return of the people when the plague was abated. This John Cock had left the town with his whole family, and locked up his house, and was gone in the country, as many others did, and finding the plague so decreased in November that there died but nine hundred and five per week of all diseases, he ventured home again. He had in his family ten persons, that is to say, himself and wife, five children, two apprentices, and a maid-servant. He was not returned to his house above a week, and began to open his shop and carry on his trade. But the distemper broke out in his family, and within about five days they all died, except one, that is to say, himself, his wife, all his five children, and his two apprentices, and only the maid remained alive. But the mercy of God was greater to the rest than we had reason to expect, for the malignity, as I have said, of the distemper was spent, and the contagion was exhausted, and also the winter weather came on apace, and the air was clear and cold with sharp frosts, and this increasing still, 
most of those that had fallen sick recovered, and the health of the city began to return. There were, indeed, some returns of the distemper even in the month of December, and the bills increased near a hundred. But it went off again, and so, in a short while, things began to return to their own channel. And wonderful it was to see how populous the city was again all on a sudden, so that a stranger could not miss the numbers that were lost. Neither was there any miss of the inhabitants as to their dwellings. Few or no empty houses were to be seen, or, if there were some, there was no want of tenants for them. I wish I could say that as the city had a new face, so the manners of the people had a new appearance. I doubt not, but there were many that retained a sincere sense of their deliverance, and were that heartily thankful to that sovereign hand that had protected them in so dangerous a time. It would be very uncharitable to judge otherwise in a city so populous, and where the people were so devout as they were here in the time of the visitation itself. But except what of this was to be found in particular families and faces, it must be acknowledged that the general practice of the people was just as it was before, and very little difference was to be seen. Some, indeed, said things were worse, that the morals of the people declined from this very time, that the people, hardened by the danger they had been in, like seamen after a storm is over, were more wicked and more stupid, more bold and hardened, in their vices and immoralities, than they were before. But I will not carry it so far, neither. It would take up a history of no small length, to give a particular of all the gradations by which the course of things in this city came to be restored again, and to run in their own channel as they did before. Some parts of England were now infected as violently as London had been, the cities of Norwich, Peterborough, Lincoln, Colchester, and other places were now visited, and the magistrates of London began to set rules for our conduct as to corresponding with those cities. It is true, we could not pretend to forbid their people coming to London, because it was impossible to know them asunder. So, after many consultations, the Lord Mayor and Court of Aldermen were obliged to drop it. All they could do was to warn and caution the people not to entertain in their houses or converse with any people who they knew came from such infected places. But they might as well have talked to the air, for the people of London thought themselves so plague-free now that they were past all admonitions. They seemed to depend upon it that the air was restored, and that the air was like a man that had had the smallpox, not capable of being infected again. This revived that notion that the infection was all in the air, that there was no such thing as contagion from the sick people to the sound. And so strongly did this whimsy prevail among people, that they ran all together promiscuously, sick and well. Not the Mahometans, who 
prepossessed with the principle of predestination, value nothing of contagion, let it be in what it will, could be more obstinate than the people of London. They that were perfectly sound, and came out of the wholesome air, as we call it, into the city, made nothing of going into the same houses and chambers, nay, even into the same beds with those that had the distemper upon them, and were not recovered. Some, indeed, paid for their audacious boldness with the price of their lives. An infinite number fell sick, and the physicians had more work than ever, only with this difference, that more of their patients recovered, that is to say, they generally recovered, but certainly there were more people infected and fell sick now, when there did not die above a thousand or twelve hundred in a week, than there was when there died five or six thousand a week. So entirely negligent were the people at that time in the great and dangerous case of health and infection, and so ill were they able to take or accept of the advice of those who cautioned them for their good. The people being thus returned, as it were, in general, it was very strange to find that, in their inquiring after their friends, some whole families were so entirely swept away that there was no remembrance of them left, neither was anybody to be found to possess or show any title to that little they had left. For in such cases what was to be found was generally embezzled and purloined, some gone one way, some another. It was said such abandoned effects came to the king as the universal error, upon which we are told, and I suppose it was in part true, that the king granted all such as deodans to the Lord Mayor and Aldermen of London to be applied to the use of the poor, of whom there were very many. For it is to be observed that though the occasions of relief and the objects of distress were very many more in the time of the violence of the plague than now after all was over, yet the distress of the poor was now more a great deal than it was then, because all these sluices of general charity were now shut. People supposed the main occasion to be over, and so stopped their hands, whereas particular objects were still very moving, and the distress of those that were poor was very great indeed. End of section 23